Welcome to NavChat, the show for the New Zealand orienteering and navigation sports community. Hey Tom, reporting in from Italy. How's it back home? Good. I'm a, bit, I'm a bit jealous, to be honest. It's been like, I've spent like, my training today was like riding in the rain. So I'd quite happily be in the dollar months. How, how, how are you, how, why are you there? What are you doing this way? If you uh, liked the show, please support it by sharing uh, this podcast with one person who would benefit from it. Last week. The best place and, to find more uh, content like this is at genebeverage.nz where you can find years of training blogs, like we'll, race reports, we'll podcasts and, uh, and coaching videos. We'll some, um, if you don't want to miss future episodes, I recommend subscribing to my newsletter by visiting genebeverage.nz or by following on social media, Flow on Facebook and genebeverage on Instagram. For Q&A, send messages to nav at perfectflow.nz. I think it's a really good chance to test yourself in some different terrain types so yeah and of course over here with um, some other Kiwis uh, including uh, Tim who I caught up with in today's uh, guest guest interview sweet should we just leap straight in hear about what from hear about your and Tim's chat about what yeah let's have a listen Tim thanks for coming back you're my uh, second second time for you on NavChat so the first person who's returned um, and that's because you've got some more yep, good results nice to, to share back. at World Champs. So, yep, um, yeah, cool. And Malcolm and I, I, I did, interviewed Malcolm last month because he was involved in all of the knockout sprint stuff that we've done in New Zealand so far. Um, maybe you can come from the European angle. How, how much knockout sprint racing have you done in Europe? Um not so much more than what's been done in New Zealand, but I've had the chance to be at the couple of uh, World Cups where they've tested it out at the highest level, so that's been really fun. And I was involved with testing when they were um, originally trying to work out which types of forking that they would use. So I was on a few of these Mediterranean orienteering camps um, during the kind of spring season, winter season. And had the chance there to test out, yeah, your runner's choice and uh, unforked courses and butterfly loops. So I've probably done, yeah, it sounds know, like maybe six or seven knockout sprints in total. Behind. No, not at all. No. Okay, oh well, that, that's decent. I think we've done three. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's cool. Um, so did you feel quite prepared psychologically going into um, the knockout sprint at um, World Champs? Yeah, I think to a certain extent. So through the through the qualification, I even though that ended up being quite tight for me, I was quite confident there, and had figured that actually uh, because it wasn't World Cup and there aren't more than three people from each nation, it should theoretically be a lot easier to qualify even in a, a quarterfinal stage compared to how it was at the World Cup in Sweden. So I was I was feeling quite confident that I could get myself through. Uh, the, the couple of first rounds, but of course, from the semi-final onwards, it was going to be a really tough time. Yeah, and what gives you that confidence? Is it knowing that you've got like decent track times compared to these guys, or is it that you've raced head to head enough to know? I think 
yeah, because I've been doing a few of these knockout races now, and my my strength is in quite tight technical sprint orienteering. But I've been working a lot on my uh, just raw speed, and have had quite a good uh, season so far with no injuries through the winter, and been able to do a lot of just pure physical training and. I'm starting to improve my 3k and 5k and even down to 1500 meter times so I can compete against some of these young guns that are upcoming at the moment and I think I have enough confidence now to back myself in a yeah. sprint finish against let's say 90% of the start field. Yeah. Cool. And how does that affect your strategy once you hit the start line? I think the quarterfinals and the semifinals, are, for me at least, run slightly differently. Obviously in the quarterfinals you have three runners that will qualify through, so half of the start field. And I prefer there to hang a little bit further back um, during the first stages of the course and sort of get a feeling of how the others are running, what their strengths may be, are they going to try to lead it out hard from the start or are they going to wait and rely on their kick. Um, and I was really planning ahead quite a lot for the major route choice to the last control on that course and that proved in, in our heat at least to be very decisive and the first three that were punching there were the ones crossing the line in first, second and third. But then in the semi-final just with two going through yeah, and you're starting to have such strong runners in the field, I prefer um, not to risk it, not to just back my sprint but to get onto the front and do some navigating on the front so that if guys want to come past you they need to go past you yep. cool so zooming out a little bit from knockout sprint knockout sprint which is something that i think is fascinating a lot of us at the moment because it's still quite new and it was so exciting to watch um do you have any other thoughts about uh, world champs in general you had obviously a lot of pressure um, with really good performances going into it, uh, do you feel like you're you're satisfied with with some of your your runs and uh, w what things are you going to um, take with you as you move on with the rest of the season? Yeah, I'm quite satisfied um, with how the week went. Obviously, we were right up there with our sprint relay, and I think that's such a promising team for the future. So. Even though the result on paper might not look as good as we were hoping for, the you can still take each person's individual run and see some real positives there. And yeah, that, that team's going to be one to watch out for in the future, and it's exciting to be a part of. And then my, my knockout sprint day was about as good as it could be. Obviously, I had a bad route choice to the last control, but I think that's just part of racing, and you can't always expect to take this best route choice when it really matters. And to... Uh, be on in the top six um, with that style of racing against those guys is uh, yeah I'm really proud of that achievement on that day, and then I think my main takeaway from doing this whole week is how much that day took out of me. I could really feel it uh, on the rest day. I was barely able to jog, and um, even on the in the morning uh, in the qualification, like I, I could feel that if a really technical sprint was coming that I wasn't quite there um, mentally, not quite mentally prepared for you know, these tricky tight sprints. So I I will consider, um, I think, in, in Edinburgh basically deciding whether I will focus on knockout or individual and just take that one race and focus on that. 
that's probably my main takeaway from the weekend and how I will use that to prepare for a future Sprint World Champs. Interesting, and that might depend on the program also. You had We had knockout sprint as the exactly. middle race. Uh, whereas if it's the last race, I guess you can probably go go all out. But um, how mm. far did you did you run on that day, and how many minutes at high intensity did you accumulate? The qualification course was about ten minutes long, so you've got that plus plus six minutes quarterfinal, seven minute semi-final, and an eight minute final. So that's all starting to add up, and then. In between that, of course, you got your warm up and your cool down, and uh, that those get shorter as the day progresses. But you still want to get some kilometers in your legs before the start, just to freshen up and you add your strides in before all of those um, races as well. So for for me, it's getting over thirty kilometers that day if I make it all the way through to the finals, and that takes its toll on the body. Yeah, yeah, and I, I heard you. Um, that had factored into your shoe choice as well. That was something that has never really come up in sprint orienteering before. No, yeah, so I'm just wearing normal trainers um, also for the races. I think the gains that you get um, just by wearing a slightly lighter, less supportive shoe is not high enough to outweigh the fact that I'm doing a 30 kilometer day, especially when there's a sprint individual coming up. Um, with just one day in between. Mm -hmm. So you're yeah, avoiding really light, um, really low profile racing flats, which tend to be faster if they're a bit lighter, but they make your feet and lower legs work a bit harder for that. Yep. Yeah, so just trying to save the calves and muscles in the lower legs a little bit over the day. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, so what are you looking forward to in um, the season coming up? It's uh, mid-summer in Europe. Uh, what's going on for you? Yeah, I've got a bit of a different season to what I normally have lined up this year. So with my visa struggles, I have to leave the Schengen zone now. And so I'm moving away from Sweden, even though I'm waiting for the visa to move there a bit more permanently. So right now I'm in the UK and I've got a 5K coming up in the weekend which will be a nice test of the shape before heading over to usa for the world games so that's held every four years the last one was in poland and it's actually been postponed a year with um covid so that that was five years ago and after that i'm heading over to new zealand for my first new zealand winter since i moved to europe so that will be quite a interesting experience going back home and yeah i got the new zealand cross-country champs and the new zealand mountain running champs on my schedule there as well as just meeting up with my family and spending a bit of time at home cool, cool. and i'm really looking forward to you colliding with the rest of the orienteering scene that's back home uh, because you have been away for a few years now and there's a lot of juniors that have come through who only know you as a gps dot and um, that'd be cool to see you turn up to anything if there's some orienteering that you, you go to. I think it would mean a lot to um, a lot of the people back home. So good luck with the rest of the season. And um, Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Zealand when, when you're back. Um, yeah, I hope you uh, enjoy seeing some old faces when you're back. Thanks, Tim. Thanks. 
So yet yeah, usually we would try to get the call done before the end of the month, but yeah, I thought we'd wait just so we could get in uh, an interview just after walk. So I hope that was worth it. Yeah, hearing hearing from Tim after all the races were over. Yeah, I mean, I I haven't myself I haven't done a knockout. I don't think I've even seen a knockout apart from something on the internet. So it's interesting to hear that there's like definite tactics and the different parts of the race and how Tim's really starting to deconstruct the discipline to figure out how to best perform. Yep, and there's many other people who are thinking along those lines also. Uh, most people are yeah, still just racing hard, but this was the first time that we've seen a few different uh, tactics emerge and we'll get into some of those with the GPS tracking. We could see some of those mm. things happen on the fly, but it's still young. It's still a young sport. And uh, I think World Champs was the first time that people who have done enough knockout sprints can actually um, go into them with experience. Whereas prior to this stage, people have been everyone feels inexperienced but now people are starting to feel experienced is it a um do you think we're going to see knockout sprint tim alluded to the fact he might choose knockout or individual but do you think we're going to see knockout sprint specialists yep i think really? we already, or i think we already have because it's so much shorter uh, than sprint if it was say yep. yeah like 10 10 or 11 minutes instead of 13 to 14 probably not but it is so much shorter and if you look at the 3K and 1500 times of those in the final, it'll blow your mind, especially those that um, finish really, really quick. Uh, Tim was left in the dust by people who are much quicker than him over 1500 meters and shorter. So yeah, definitely, I think we'll see people who are much faster sprinters and less endurance athletes do quite well, actually. Mm, interesting, interesting. Now. One of the things Tim talked about when he's uh, so cruising, so to call it, maybe running only at like three minute 15 Ks rather than three minute Ks was looking to try and plan ahead in advance in a sprint course. Something we've kind of touched on a little bit um, in recent weeks or recent months rather, but I, I think looking at the walk sprint maps, you realize that there's, there's plenty ahead and on a New Zealand sprint course, we've got, ability to do that but on some of these danish courses it was the route choices were so complicated that you really had to be playing ahead even if it was putting risk into your navigation do we want to have a bit of a talk about that yep for sure i think um what, what you said is is uh, a really good observation putting risk into the navigation that was something we saw across all of these races uh, people were not making a complete a completely informed decision some of the time and i'm really keen to get into it so uh yeah let's get into some of the topics that i wanted to share on this call mm. it's interesting why you did why you pulled that up i think it i think this kind of stands that we're kind of seeing techniques from forest and i guess um other nav disciplines come across to sprint looking at some of the route choices this year at walk especially in the sprint final it was all, the complexity was up there with some of the forest terrain. Sure, it's buildings and that sort of thing, but you you really had to come at them with a route choice attack point or tech point route choice control system. It was really interesting, but we'll get there. You have instead put up a Queen's birthday. Uh, is this a middle distance? This doesn't look like Denmark, Gene. Well, maybe it does. Away from that. Sorry, I'm a bit sick. What party? I've got 
yeah so before we get too excited about walk i did want to jump back to queen's birthday which was also in the last month and something that we just couldn't skim past because it was really good and really interesting this is the first middle distance from queen's birthday held uh Capity coast run by wellington orienteering club on scott's ferry uh, but a newer area of the scott's ferry forest um this is really hard this is really detailed and with some low visibility patches this was some of the hardest orienteering i've done uh this year and i thought i handled it quite well actually um matt ogden was an absolute machine and just killed us on all three days what, what do you think um i think you look at it and you think oh that's just like woodhill isn't it but really it's got a lot more the the nature of the sand dunes and the manawatu is different from the sand dunes in Woodhill Forest. Um, what I see here is you've got a combination of really uh, repetitive contour features with some indistinct tracks, some relatively vague vegetation. I think you've got, um, well, as we've already alluded to, you've got a real risk versus reward sort of situation here. Um, do you go straight and try and pick off these relatively subtle features? Or do you play it safe, go wide, pick up some big handrails and attack points or combination of the two? Yep, especially uh, the, the risk assessment going into these low visibility areas was really important because it was very hard to see more than 10 metres ahead of you. So I thought that was really cool and big ups to the, the organising team for uh, putting on such a good event. They also had a uh, long distance. So this is the, uh, this is the long um which is a tricky thing to pull off uh, a long distance in a sand dune forest because you it tends to be the best to go straight and if you are doing the tracks then you sometimes have some quite big sections of road running so this was fairly interesting um as far as it, it can be for doing route choice in flat forest like this so again i think ups to the event organizers for giving us some quite interesting Ooh, those are some those are some long legs i like that's what i like to see that's so good it's yeah, like quite, um quite creative enormous uh, yeah yeah it was enormous why uh, did you why did you go left we talking four to five nine to ten sorry nine why to did ten. You go left? um yeah I, I joined up a lot of tracks you can see my my route there it's just quite quite thin on the screen but yeah i joined up um, a lot of tracks and that was quite a good way uh you could have gone below this big green area in the middle uh, you can join up some of the indistinct trails but if you are trying to get the faster running the faster running is on the roads not on the mountain bike trails the mountain bike trails are still mm. soft you, you really want the roads so yeah hard gravel mm. What do you know? It was one way faster than the other. Um, I think I've got fairly good routes on this nine, nine to ten. I think I've done the the perfect route, and four to five. I uh, I don't think it was quite. I think you wanted to stay on the road a little bit longer. Actually, from four to five, mm -hmm. I used this track right on the edge of the map, and as I said <laughs> before, it was, it was sandy and actually not quite as fast as I had hoped. Yeah, um, I was getting tired at the end of this race. This is just the first first map there was a map flip and i was getting pretty cooked towards the end and it was very hard to navigate uh, when you're when you're getting tired um, this is the middle distance from the 
the third day. And again, I just wanted to add and uh, share that. I think this is some of the best navigation I've done, actually. I was very concentrated and uh, just felt like I knew exactly what I was doing. Um, so I think I've been paying a lot of attention to my navigation over the last few years. And uh, I, yeah, I, I feel like I'm really in control. And if I'm making small mistakes, I'm making them really fast, like instant relocation uh, and getting myself back on track really quickly. So yeah, I'm really wow, happy, like really happy to share that. This is, like, this is like a control picking exercise, isn't it? Yep, and it was pretty fast, pretty fast running. So yeah. Okay, and when it came to planning ahead, were you planning ahead here, or were you were you just like living in the moment? Next control, next control, next control. I'm planning the exit, pretty much exit only, because there's no route choice, so um, nothing to plan ahead. Uh, I think seven to eight. Uh, there's a route choice there where you can use the trail. Uh, I didn't plan that much ahead. It just needs a, a few seconds consideration. So not much okay. route choice. And therefore, we're not much planning ahead. Unlike okay, sprints, so we've got this is at one end. We're going to talk a little bit about planning later, but in this instance, you don't really have a lot of route choice, so you're just slapping that compass on, getting your exit direction, and that's the extent of your planning. And otherwise, you're just going bang, 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 bang. Main. Cool. Uh, so on to the uh, the next thing, um, world champs. So obviously, we're itching to talk about it, and almost forgot about Queen's birthday there, but. Uh, there's um, a good write-up in the recent newsletter that went out, uh, so I won't won't read through um, all of that. I think people probably just want to hear my uh, my personal take, uh, which is I think mm -hmm. we've got a lot of strength coming through at the moment. We have a lot of potential for some really top results, and Tim Robertson is obviously leading the way, uh, but there's a number of others who uh, are getting really solid results on the world stage also. And uh, looking forward to Sprint Rock again in two years' time. We could have a really good Sprint Relay team, which is really exciting. And even for Walk uh, in, in the forest, middle distance and long distance, we could have some pretty strong, uh, pretty fit uh, runners to ha have a go next year. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing our, our top runners um, go. I definitely felt like I was there as a supporter. Uh, there are some people in very good shape. Uh, it is not me. In the team who's in incredible shape right now so um i was really really impressed with uh yes some of the people who were doing their first first walks uh this year so uh on the onz website people can can uh, read uh, more of what other people have to say cool all right those are those kind of dispatches that were sent out are quite good they give those little news those uh daily news updates are quite mm -hmm. good Cool. So quickly um, onto the results. Yeah, I just wanted to highlight where um, Tim ended up in the the uh, sprint individual, um, which uh, is twenty first. So just comparing that to previous years, um, Tim's had a second and a third, and so twenty first wasn't um, wasn't his best run uh, out there. But also just looking that New Zealand actually has three people uh, in the final: um, Joe down in thirty uh, eighth and Tommy in forty first. Uh, which is pretty cool actually to get three people in the final and we also had uh, two women in the final uh, also um, Penelope Salmon qualified in a really hot time and uh, Laura Robertson was also uh, ran a, a really good race in the final getting uh, 28th there which is really cool on the world world stage 
Yeah, I guess looking back, like I know we're not back back in my, back in my day. Um, those would have been like celebrated, you know, twenty first, twenty eighth. Great, it's like a bump of what. Whereas we've also got the depth of like having Penelope there and the women's, and then Tommy and Joe. It's um, yeah, like you say, it shouldn't be. I mean, and we've got the, how the rest of the week went it was really good, mm-hmm. very exciting. Yeah, it is good to compare that uh, to previous years. I think that's. Um, always good to take stock of how far we've come. And I think Laura Robertson has, I think now three or so places in that like mid, mid twenties, you know, she's just hitting there consistently. It's not just like a standout run that she had managed to pull out on the day that that's her level legitimately. So that's really yeah. cool. All right. Very so cool. you had a quick look at some of the maps, obviously this is from the sprint relay. What's the first thing that stands out at you when you look at a map like this? Uh, to me, it's the artificial blockages. Yep. Is a lot of artificial you, blockages. That's exactly yep. what I was fishing for. We discussed some sprint training ideas in our last call, didn't we, Tom? We did, yeah. Yep, yep. yep. Well, this is the coaching tip from uh, this episode, is practice with artificial fences. Um, we might, might have covered it briefly in, in some previous discussions, but it definitely needs um, a plug on its own because artificial fences are definitely the new, so the newest thing in sprint orienteering. And uh, as we'll get into, it solves a lot of problems for the event organizers. And I oh, completely agree. Completely agree. Yeah. And therefore it's going to become a no brainer for all major events. So one of the things we also discussed in our last call is that old maps for this area were available and are generally available for world championships areas. LIDAR data and geo data was also available. So all teams, including us, had made a map that looked very much like this on our computers. And we, we could see pretty much this. So when you flip over the map on race day, it's pretty familiar to you. Yeah. But what you can't ever know is where the artificial fence is going to be. So you can never know what the best route choices are going to be between two different locations on the map. And so yep. it just kind of pulls the rug out from under all of this pre-planning that we we see go on with uh, the, the well-resourced uh, teams on the world stage. So it's, yeah, it solves that problem. I think it, it almost completely solves it. Yeah, I think it's been a, it's been a simmering issue, hasn't it? The fact that, sure, you can, like we said, you can give all the information or you can try and keep it secret. It creates an air of unfairness. But yeah, you're right. This is a great way of getting around it. I think it's very good. Yep. So we had set a lot of courses with uh, artificial fences that we'd put in on the computer. Uh, but mm-hmm. of course, there's, there's no, no chance probabilistically that we are going to put artificial fences in the same place as the organizers and be able to test routes that are the same as what what they're going to give us on the race day so yeah um this was super cool uh again they've picked a, a stand finish that was really suitable for the tv coverage and it was really fun to be there as well so they just kind of nailed it in in all, all regards and yeah it was a lot of fun to i wasn't racing this day it was a lot of fun to to spectate and uh how, how are they doing the um was it runner's choice for the four Kings or what did they do? Yeah. So for 
the sprint relay, it's uh, forked, but very much like an old school relay where you only know what your map is and yep. there's two forks generally. And you've got a team of four and one man and one woman will, will get each, each forking throughout the, uh, yep. throughout the course of your, your four people. Cool. Yeah. So, so that was, yeah, that was really cool. And, uh, that's yeah, generally what, what I wanted to say uh, on uh, this particular map. We've got lots more to to cover at walk, so mm -hmm. we'll we'll whiz through. Keep so moving. yeah, we'll go into the knockout sprint, which was the second race at this year's um, World Champs. And yeah, this is start line of orientary. <laughs> no one's ever seen this before. Um, this is the final of the the World Champs. Yeah, it's funny, eh? it's, it's, it's quite cool to see the, the old black thing up there, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's super cool. Um, Tim ran the most impressive race. I think everyone has so much respect for him because he was leading the navigation and staying abreast of everyone. Everyone's just trying to hold on to Tim. He is so good as an individual sprinter. Uh, it, was, it was really incredible to see him up on the TV, just the, the black singlet out in front leading the train. Sweet. Swedes and the Swiss tailing off behind it. It's quite, yeah, it's pretty cool, really, isn't it? Yeah. If you look at the like average 1500 meter time of these guys, you'll realize the caliber that is required to go out in these knockout sprints. It is very different to what orienteering uh, used to be. These guys are seriously quick. So um, let's have a look at, at some of the maps. Again, what do you notice, Tom? Look at these fences everywhere. Yeah. It's, um, it's really good for enhancing fairness, isn't it? I think. So, is this what? What have we got here? Is this the? Uh, this is a semi-final. Yep. So this is a quarter-final, and so quarter -final. in the quarter-finals, there's uh, six, um, six quarter-finals, and twelve quarter-finals overall with men's and women's. Um, I wanted mm -hmm. to run through uh, just a few, a few of the examples, just to show some of the the more interesting so these are, things. These are, these are, un, these are unforked. That's right. So all these races, straight running races, no forking, no runner's choice, which is uh, when you can, before the race, you get 20 seconds to choose your variation. Uh, this was just straight out races. And so I think a, what I'm going to argue is that straight out racing leads to a lot of following. And I was going to show you a few exceptions to the rule that are very entertaining, but those are kind of exceptions that I think prove the rule uh, in some way because it's so novel when people do different things. Mm. Back to our earlier comments on planning ahead as well. These, I think these and the individual sprint, leagues like two to three had me thinking, how do you even, where do you start? Like you've, you've started at max to control one and then you have this extremely complicated, like you have to be looking broadly to spot what are generally tiny little avenues through buildings rather than having like an obvious wide loop. Although we can see that um, Robert Mill's gone real wide there, but like it's, it, it's these route choices are challenging, very challenging. Very challenging. And I think you said it right. You have to look wide to spot small gaps. So it's a very visual exercise on, on the page, looking for these little gaps. And you can see why people offset the navigation to somebody else and just follow while they work out future legs. And so this is one example here where 
most of these, uh, most of the field here has come into number three um, re reasonably similar. They're in a bit of a line, maybe separated by one second each. And uh, the first runner to punch uh, actually made quite a big mistake here. And instead of going going up to up to four, they should have just followed the path to four. They followed the second path around the west of the out of bounds block there, and everyone followed. So you've had these six top runners, and clearly they're all planning ahead. They've all offset the navigation to somebody else, and. And what happened is almost all of them followed along this path to the to the west of the out of bounds area and then realized and the order totally reversed so one to six ended up being six to one as they all realized on the path at the same time and uh yeah reverse and that was pretty much the order um to the finish line actually so everyone who went in first came out came out last from that from that split so that's an example of when you've got too many people planning ahead at just the wrong moment. And uh, yeah, definitely you, you, you are putting a lot of risk on the table with this uh, planning ahead. And it was very interesting to see it unfold and to see top orienteers make kind of such embarrassing mistakes, but they're just pushing, pushing right, the limits so went from bad to worse, didn't it? And why, why are the Brits so good at this? Why have the British figured this out? Yeah, so the Brits are very strong at the moment, um, as we'll see throughout the course of this walk review. And they've had a lot of good sprint orienteers um, over the past five years and have built consistently uh, year upon year. And I, talking to them, they don't put it, any, put it down to anything other than just incremental improvements year upon year. Um, a lot of the top Brits are my age now. And they've just been chipping away for for years, and yeah, it's great to see. Are they focusing on? Because um, well, Chris Jones, for instance, is a pretty handy track and road runner. Are they all taking that sort of route, or is it a something that they're all going there, their own way? There are a few of them who are focusing on cross country and and track running, and and less interested in middle distance and long distance orienteering. Uh, there are a few of them who, who have done that so they can definitely back themselves uh, in a uh, in, in a fast fast race like this um, here's an here's another example of uh, all, all these uh, this is in one of the women's quarterfinals where this is fairly simple orienteering again you've got to work out the underpass you've got a long time to work out the underpass though and to know that three is at the end of the underpass fours on the top on the next bridge along and then you've just got to get back out basically the same way you came in to go to five yeah. and you're going back in the same bridge they came out and they all ended up on top and then coming down the back of the bridge after faffing around some time up there um, and that was just an amazing mistake that we all saw on camera that never would have happened in a lower pressure situation and so this is something that knockout sprint, it's, it's, it brings out these embarrassing mistakes. It was amazing to see this on camera, like the top orienteers in the world that you highly regard, are just unable to go back the way they came because the, someone had offset the navigation to someone else who had screwed it up and they're all just all flustered. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. Interesting.
yeah, we'll keep whizzing uh, whizzing through these. Uh, just one more. This is one that uh, forked um, quite a bit. I think we'll skip through. No, that was this is the one that stayed. Oh yeah, so this was one again where you could see that the first person to make the decision, um, everyone's following. But what what happens quite often is in the last part of the race, people have pre-planned the last few legs quite well because that's all that matters is who can get basically from the start of like the sprint finish, which tends to happen on this course, maybe somewhere between six and seven. It's probably just balls to the wall the whole time. You can barely look at your map during that that time, so you have to have the perfect route choice, and you have to know that route choice so well. So it was like fast to number four, but just like balls to the wall from five to the finish, and you can see people were suddenly. Oh, how do you even get from six to seven? Oh, you have to go out past five down the valley through. Yeah, jeez. Oh no, they, they can do the stairs. Or you do it, yeah. Tim. Yeah, so it was super interesting to see everyone like packing it together and then just split totally different ways out of four, just split and just go for it. And yeah, taking very different routes, which the course setter had balanced quite well. And this was amazing to see on TV, people coming from different directions, just all coming to this, this control. And Tim ended up uh, cutting in front. He was out of, out of picture and we couldn't see him. And all we could see are the other five runners. And as we can see here, um, so yeah, the GPS is a, it's a bit hard to see exactly who's in front, but Tim comes through from, from the side, just below the camera, punches the control because it's, it's touch-free, of course, so it's very fast. And then they just boost around into the finish straight with Tim seconds, uh, just like split second again. So it's very exciting, very exciting racing, watching uh, people go so nice. fast. Cool. Should we crack on to the next one? Yep. Well, we'll get to the next one. Uh, one more on um, knockout sprint. Uh, this is the women's final. And it was pretty um, spectacular to watch uh, two of our Alexanderson from Sweden uh, dominate in, in such, a, such a way on the final here. Just ran away from everyone. Uh, it, I don't know if I've ever seen someone be this much faster than everyone else. That in a sprint race can just drop everyone, just run away in plain sight. Uh, that was pretty incredible to watch, uh, actually. And one thing I wanted to add about these uh, these finals is that the, all these semi, quarter semi and uh, the final, is they moved the fences between all of these races. It was mm. th all the volunteers that they're ready to go as soon as, as, soon as they get the signal, they're all like moving all these fences around and changing the barriers so that the terrain is different every time. You can't remember the route choices from the previous previous races. And so they reuse some of the areas. Sometimes like the final, they went south, whereas for the semi and quarter, they went north, but they were moving fences around. And yeah, it was, it was amazing to watch. Cool, cool. Okay, so uh, onto the sprint. Um, the sprint wasn't the sprint final wasn't wasn't our greatest. Um, Tim Tim made a mistake uh, quite early on, so I've just got our ooh, sorry I've just got our three our three uh, met three in the men's final here, um, and it was 
kind of not not a great start for um, either of us here. Joe Lynch got caught up in a trap quite early on, running down the wrong gap. Uh, he's actually gone down this gap here before he got through on the right one. Um, Tim Robertson, as you can see, is exploring the, the wrong the wrong gap. Also, um, he went right down to the end before he couldn't find the gap in the fence. And you'll notice that Tommy Hayes is still. And Tommy has a very funny story. He actually ran full steam into a power pole. Uh, he was reading his map and totally winded himself. And he actually stops for 30 seconds. He's, he's on the ground for 30 seconds. So that was a very rough start <laughs> to the race for all of our... Oh, no, one to two, and everyone's, everyone's out of it. That yeah. is a tiny gap to spot, though. Absolutely, like, geez. I think that being able to spot that tiny little gap and then be able to follow that little gap through and out, it's just so complicated. Yeah, and there was a lot of discussion about this after the race, about whether the gaps, the, the, that it had turned into a bit of a gap picking exercise on the page, on the piece of paper. And there were a lot of people stopping at number one who just couldn't couldn't find a way through visually on the map. So yeah, we will see that be discussed, I think, more in future years. But anyway, it was very entertaining to watch. And um, yeah, a bit of a rough bit of a rough day for our boys. Joe had, had a reasonable yeah, race. Joe's gone all the way wide. When I looked at this, I thought that Joe's route was the way to go. But Obviously not. Yep. And if you're interested in looking more at which ways are the best ways to go, there is a great article here on World of Vogue that I'll link to uh, that has all the, um, the the tracking analyzed so you can see which way is the best way to go. So, um, and a, a quick recap on, on our girls. Um, Laura had a very good race um, and Penelope had uh quite a good start but um made a, a fairly big admin error actually which we've discussed before haven't we yep um we and admin errors. Yep. she actually made i think two admin errors it got a bit confusing there exactly uh, what control she was going to but yeah um went quite far towards the wrong control uh and got got quite confused about what intersection she got herself to so um that was a, a bit of a frustrating end to um quite a good start to the race actually so mm. Cool. Have you been following the uh, other ju juniors that we now have uh, in Europe at the moment? Oh, I'd seen they were there, but I must say I have not. Yep. So this is quite cool that we are now sending some of our juniors to EOC, the European Youth Orienteering Champs. The competition is really good and it's a great experience before actually racing at Jaywalk. So we now have uh, a decent team team over there, which is, is quite cool. Uh, this is most of them. Um, there's also Zephyr and uh, Felix over there also, Felix Hunt. Essentially so, the Jaywalk runners who are young enough, right? Yeah, the, the youngest of the, of the Jaywalk runners. So um, great to see our, our girls over there, uh, giving some uh, foreign terrain uh, a good test. So uh, here's a bit of a look at uh, the sprint race. Um, yeah, we don't don't need to go through it uh, too much, but uh, Poland. It, oh, yeah, sorry, they're in Hungary. Hungary. So yeah, it, it looks like a fun sprint course, probably a bit different to anything they've had uh, in New Zealand. Uh, mm. Lots of walls, fences, and buildings. 
So that's something cool. Links uh, are below. So definitely check out uh, this tracking and test your route choices. See if the competitors went the same way that you would have gone. This is the terrain for the long distance. Have you done anything like this before, Tom? Um, I've run in, in Czech Republic, which maybe not quite as steep. But it looks like continental terrain with some gully spur features, doesn't it? Yeah, there's some really heavily eroded gullies, which look quite fun. But yeah, mainly continental. And this the, the very um, dense patches of the forest, which is something that I recall finding really challenging when yeah. I was younger, coming from New Zealand. You also? Yeah, I think you, you're brought up to try and avoid green and then you can't. You have to just have to, but I think we're changing in New Zealand. I think we're using more and more areas that look more similar to this. So hopefully the newer generation are more on board. Yeah, I remember feeling immense pressure with the the denser areas. I wanted to go fast and I couldn't. And yeah, it was just a bit of a nightmare. So it's good that they're getting some experience. Uh, also here, the uh, these areas that have a lot of tracks, a lot of tracks and a lot of dense forest. Uh, it's amazing mm. how how hectic some of the racing becomes. This, this is from the relay. So, yeah, check check out the tracking. Uh, it's great that they've got so much GPS tracking on at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, We've got five and a half minutes to go. Just FYI. I think we'll be okay. Okay. Um, we'll just trim that one. I think. Okay, so some more talk about mapping. I guess I bring this up quite a bit, but um, here we go, Tom. Uh, what, which which way on A can you get through on A? Uh, so you can't get across on A. Yep. So that's the out of bounds symbol on A. It's um, out of bounds on all levels. It's just out of bounds. You cannot go there. Yeah. Uh, and B. Uh, you can cross at street level, but not in the underpass. Yeah. So this, uh, no, opposite. Opposite. Yep. You can go in the underpass, but not yep. at street level. Yeah. So what that's saying is that um, at the main map level, there's out of bounds, but there is an underpass. So the, the, the stripe shows that there is an underpass that's usable. So yeah, you, like you've, if we're just not used to this stuff yet and we have to get more and more practiced at looking at it. Um, it's just not, not obvious yet, right? Like it's a new, new mental models need to be generated. So, um, and CND just... are the same. Are they, are they not? No, they're not because the dots have gone away. Yeah. The triangles are gone. So, uh, on C you can cross at both levels, but on, uh, D, you can't actually get into the tunnel. You can go at road level. Oh my God. Road level so only. Confusing. So yeah, it, it's confusing until you practice it again and again and again. And then, hey, it's that, that's that's what happens when you bring something new in. Orienteering yeah. is confusing for like everyone for the first year. I think that's what we've forgotten. And we're like surprised that we're confused about something we profess to be so good at it. But hey, orienteering was confusing and we've just gotten used to being good at it. And now he's a new element to the mapping and we're not good at it yet. We need, we need to mm. see it a few times and we need to race it a few times before we uh, get better at it. Again, here's some examples from 
world champs. We can see the, the stripes over there on the left. We can see the triangles appearing also in the middle there, but there's no stripes. There's, there's a lot to go into about, about exactly what all these different situations are showing. So, uh, yeah, this is again, yeah, in a race setting, people are still getting used to it. This is what I did today. This is my race from this morning. Have you done anything like this? Uh, yes, but not in Italy, like Alpine Norway. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Oh, those slopes, slope orienteering to point features. Oh, so Ooh, hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely a bit, bit scary, like when you're just on this direction and you can't see much and you're just looking for the boulder and trying to keep your direction good, counting contours quite a lot, being really disciplined on the height, maintaining the height, not, not drifting high or drifting low, going up at very uh, predetermined moments and dropping down only when you know exactly where you are. So yeah, this is quite challenging coming from some of our flatter areas. Um, I found it, found it really fun actually. And this is uh, yesterday's race, which uh, is like cast, cast terrain. Oh yeah, that um, looks good. That looks really yeah. fun. This was at two thousand meters, which is which is quite cool. So it's like oh, so quite... is, this a, is this a moraine? Is it a moraine field? Mm, I don't know what what else you call it. I think it's probably more appropriate just to call it cast because it is limestone, but it is oh, okay. Very high in the mountain. So yeah, I don't know. I think some there might have been some glacial action also in the past. But yeah, it's again, pretty cool stuff here in Italy that we're practicing on. Have you done anything like this before? No, not so much. Not that intense anyway, but that looks great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so um, thinking further ahead, we've got uh, JWAC coming up. So um, yeah, but any, any thoughts on uh, yeah, JWAC? Um, I, I think that we've got a relatively young team this year. It was a lot of new faces. So I think it'll be interesting just to see how everyone copes with the new terrain. Um, plus also we haven't had a JWAC team for a good few years. So I don't know, it's just great to have competition again and we'll eagerly watch to see how, um, the, the younger, this younger bunch get on. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. No pressure, no expectations on a young group going over. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to um, see how they go and really wishing them. What, the when is it? What are the what are the dates? Do you have the dates there on your at the um, tips of your fingers? Not at the tips of my fingers, but I think it starts in a week. Okay, cool. Well, we'll keep an eye out for those results. Yeah, we'll great keep to an chat, eye on. Yeah, cool. Thanks for talking, Dom, and I'll see you next month. Yep, sounds good.